So last week, we had the opportunity to examine how the church understands and interprets the scriptures. And this week, we can take a few moments to consider how the church understands the concept of law. Law, in the religious sense, might include the Ten Commandments, as they are referenced in our first reading from Deuteronomy. Ten seems like a nice round number to me. And the restrictions and, and commands of those Ten Commandments are really pretty basic. No killing, no stealing, no lying, no coveting, no adultery, no false gods, honor God and honor his name, honor your parents. But despite the abjurations not to do so, the people of ancient Israel pretty quickly added to these 10, the 613 commandments of the Hebrew scriptures. So in the gospel today, we have this conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees over the washing of hands before eating. And as the evangelist Mark helpfully explains, they had laws that required washing hands before eating and washing cups and bowls and kettles and beds. So why do you suppose those were religious laws? At the time that these customs and the laws around them emerged, the religious and civil authorities were essentially the same people. And the issues of basic sanitation were important. They lived in a world with no antibiotics and precious little medicine as we understand it. So a command to wash before eating helped prevent the spread of illness. Now today, as we are most of the way through our pandemic, we are very much accustomed to sanitizing our hands multiple times a day and wearing our masks and staying away from people and just being aware of all of those public health issues. But in a time before the germ theory of disease was prevalent, people didn't know why you got sick. Sometimes they thought it was because you were being punished or because of evil spirits. But they figured out that you got sick less if you washed your hands before you eat. And so the command went forth, we're going to wash our hands before we eat every time. And people were fine with that. So was this really a religious law? For them, the distinction between religious law and civil law was really negligible. Now, did God actually care if they washed their hands? No, of course not. Do we still wash our hands before eating? I hope so. My mother always made me wash my hands before I eat. So, and let me also just mention that even before our COVID pandemic, I was always very careful after mass, after shaking a couple of hundred people's hands, to sanitize my hands even before I took the vestments off. And even that lavabo, that little ritual that I do in the back as we're preparing the altar before the Eucharistic prayer, that also has its roots in the same Jewish law. So we have in these ritual washings what could be called positive law. It's enacted by a properly constituted authority for some specific purpose. 
But the church also deals with natural law, which the church says can be derived by reason and observation of the natural world. Natural law can be universally understood, at least in theory. But the church also has canon law, and these are the 1,752 laws that determines how the church operates and what its members have as responsibilities and enjoy as rights. Canon law governs, governs all of the sacraments, most especially marriage, but also the administration of the church, from the pope to dioceses, parishes, clergy, and lay people. So we have a lot of law. And this comes as quite a contrast to Jesus himself, who when asked about the law, said that what matters is complete and total love of God and love of neighbor. Everything else derives from these two things. It's easy to get caught up in religious law with the way things are supposed to be as a means of correcting or controlling the behavior of other people. And I'm sure many of you have at some point run across someone that tells you something, maybe eating meat on a Friday during Lent or missing mass on a Sunday, that is a mortal sin. Well, the truth is the church does not have a list of mortal sins. Instead, we have a series of principles that help us understand what a mortal sin is, and the catechism is very clear about that. There are three things necessary for a sin to be a mortal sin. First of all, the subject of the sin must be grave matter. I'll get to that in a minute. It must be committed with full knowledge of its sinfulness and gravity, and it must be the result of a deliberate act. So you can't commit a mortal sin by accident. Anything that you do out of ignorance could not be a mortal sin. If there are other factors controlling your freedom to do something, even grave fear, not a mortal sin. So that first one, grave matter, what is that? I'm going to tell you. Because the Code of Canon Law helpfully tells us in Canon 1858 that a mortal sin is one that directly contravenes one of the Ten Commandments. Okay, everybody clear on mortal sin? Cool. It's not something that you can do by accident or do easily. A mortal sin changes the trajectory of your life away from God and goodness and towards evil. So, eating meat on a Friday, not a mortal sin. Might be a venial sin, not a mortal sin. Now, church law is based on Roman law which functions very differently from English common law, which is what American civil law is based on. And we often get into trouble because Americans try and interpret church law as if it were American civil law. Now, English common law, which is what our legal system is largely based on, establishes the minimum standards of behavior for all people. And if you're not capable of living up to that law, then the law is obviously wrong and must be changed. As opposed to Roman law, which establishes the ideal that we all strive for. Roman law is capable of making exceptions and allowances for people that cannot live up to the strictures of the law. 
A good example of this uh, can be seen in traffic laws, of all things. We regard things like lane markings and stoplights and speed limits as absolute boundaries. And if you are going above the speed limit, you know that you are liable to be pulled over and issued a citation for speeding. Have you ever experienced traffic in the city of Rome? It's a little different. There may be four lanes painted on the road, but if they can get six cars across, they're going to do it. It's a very different understanding of law and how law functions. And as I said, Americans tend to interpret church law the way we understand civil law. But church law is based on Roman law and needs to be interpreted that way. It establishes the ideal that we strive for and not our minimum behavior. And if we have to make allowances for people that are not able to live up to that ideal, that's okay, but we don't lower our standards because of that. We don't change the law. But having said that, law, even religious law, does change over time. We wash our hands not because God commands it, but because we know it's the healthy thing to do. I myself am at this very moment wearing garments of mixed fibers, which is strictly prohibited in the book of Leviticus. Ah, see, you're wearing them too. You didn't even know that, okay. The prohibitions of the old law against eating shellfish and the requirements that we stone women caught in adultery are things we really don't pay much attention to anymore. At least, I hope we don't. Because our understanding of God's law is based on our ability to reason. In the Gospels, Jesus tells us that it's what inside of us that matters, for better or for worse. St. Paul, throughout his letters, but especially in the letter to the Hebrews, explains that any relationship that is based entirely on rules is ultimately going to be a failed relationship because we are not capable or sometimes even inclined to obey those rules. So instead, our relationships, especially our relationship with God, should be based on love and not on rules. Love one another. Love God because God loves you. Treat each other with compassion, justice, and forgiveness because that's how God treats you. And that's ultimately more important than the law, whether that's the Ten Commandments, the 613 elements of the Mosaic Law, or the 1,752 canons of the church. Laws are good and are necessary for the functioning of society and the functioning of the church. But love is what's necessary for the salvation of our souls.